chapter 2 is where we left off in our verse-by-verse study. If you would, open your Bibles with me to Revelation chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2. Number two of the seven churches, seven report cards. Report card number two this morning. So let's pray and ask the Lord to bless our time together this morning. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for this special morning that you've allowed us to have together. Thank you for um, your amazing word, the promises of your word. Thank you for that promise that as we draw near to you, that you draw near to us. And you tell us, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. And so, Lord, would you fill us this morning? We are hungering and thirsting for more of you, to know you more, that we might know your ways and walk in your ways. That we would grow, Lord, spiritually grow in those things that truly matter. And so thank you for all that you're going to do this morning. By the power of your spirit, would you change us? Transform our lives as only you can. So, Lord, may it be done for your glory. We ask all these things in your precious and your holy name, Lord Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen. 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 All right, so we left off in chapter 2. Let me get my clock started here, hopefully. There we go. All right, helpful timer. The revelation of Jesus Christ. What does revelation mean? Revealing, uncovering, unveiling. In other words, we are seeing Jesus Christ in all of his splendor, all of his glory. God wants to reveal something new and fresh about Jesus Christ to all of us. Do you believe that? This morning, I believe he wants to reveal something new and fresh to us about himself again. It's so beautiful as we continue to work our way through this book. For many of us, many of us, I'm sure, have avoided this book perhaps you know, I know a lot of churches have avoided this church, not studying it. It's too complicated. There's too much of this and too much of that. I believe personally that God intended us for, for us to understand His Word, that we might come to know and understand Him also. And He's helped us. He told us this book comes with a blessing. You'll be blessed just if you read it. You'll be blessed if you hear it. If you just sit and listen to it being read, you're going to be blessed. And you'll be blessed also if you do what the Word of God says in this book. And remember, Jesus gave us an outline for the entire book. You guys remember in chapter 1? Verse what? Verse 19. Nice. All right. We're on it. Verse 19, Jesus gave us the divine outline for the entire book, and it helps us get some framework. Remember, in chapter 1, Jesus saw, uh, John saw Jesus, right, in his glorified uh, resurrected, uh, beautiful condition, right? We, we see Jesus in all of his splendor, all of his majesty. And so he said to John, write down the things, what? Which you've seen, number one, that's chapter one. What did John see? Jesus, right? On the Isle of Patmos, in this, again, this beautiful sight of Jesus. That's part number one. Part number two is write down the things which are, right? That's speaking about those seven churches that we learn about, seven literal historical churches that existed in John's day 
Um, in chapters 2 and chapter 3, so the things which are the churches that existed. During, and, and remember, those churches also, they carry through all the church age. We can find ourselves in any one of those churches, any one of those seven, not only corporately, but individually, we can find ourselves in the condition of those churches also. And then what's the last part? What's the last component of the outline to write down the things which will <coughs> take place right after this or after these things? And the first verse of chapter 4, first verse of chapter 4 says, after these things. And so that takes us from chapter 4 all the way to chapter 22, the last part of our outline. And remember, in chapter 4 and chapter 5, we see the church in heaven worshiping the Lord, this beautiful this beautiful scene. That is a reality for us. That is in our future, you guys. Yeah. And then in chapter 6, all the way to chapter 19 is the what? Tribulation. The tribulation, the tribulation period, which lasts how long? Seven years, thank you. And in those chapters, we do not see the church at all on earth. Why? Because the church is in heaven. We've been raptured before the tribulation happens on earth. Not hard, pretty simple. And then in chapter 19, Jesus comes back with his, with his church, with the bride. And what does he do? He sets up his kingdom on earth for how long? 1,000 years, chapter 20. You guys, you guys have got it. Chapter 21, chapter 22, the new heaven and the new earth. And we live happily ever after. You guys got it. It's beautiful, right? It's not, it's, it's not that hard. Now, now we begin to fill in some of the, some of the spots, you know, kind of fill in along, uh, around the skeleton of the outline. And so Jesus is giving seven report cards to seven churches. We looked at which church last week? Ephesus, right? And by outward appearance, the church looked great, didn't it? They had programs, awesome website, all kinds of stuff going on. The church had a solid reputation. Man, they had a heritage. They had a pedigree, didn't they, this church? A long history with the Lord and, and amazing servants. But Jesus said, I have this one thing against you, that you've left your first, you've left your first love, Right? In other words, Jesus was saying, you no longer love me like you once did. And no longer are you doing the things that you're doing out of love for me. You're just going through the motions and everything looks great. There's lots of, there's lots of motion. There's lots of commotion. Maybe there's, not, there's, there's lots of emotion too, but there's no devotion. And so Jesus gave us three R's to get back on track, Remember? Remember, repent, and redo the first works. He didn't just give the diagnosis or the prognosis, but he gave the cure also for us. He said, otherwise, I'm going to turn out your light. I'm going to remove your witness. I'm going to remove your church. For me, as a pastor, that's frightening. I would never want that to happen to our church. But the Lord says, I'm done. You don't want it. You don't love me. I'm just going to, I'm going to turn off your light. I'm going to let you just kind of, just kind of fizzle out. It's kind of, kind of tragic. This church that had such a great history, such a great legacy. And so all of these, all, as we read this, we, we, we can see where we stand as a church. And not only that, it's a mirror showing us our own lives also, correct? So we took, we took note of that last week. Many people raised their hand. Second service, many people came forward confessing that they had left their first love. That they were doing things, they were doing things not motivated by love for our Savior. And we know that one day when we stand before Him, when, when those rewards are given, if, if it's not done out of love, it burns up in a pinch of ash. 
It was worthless, the things that we did. And so we want to we check our hearts as we read through these letters. This morning, we look at the church of, of Smyrna, which was the persecuted church. It is, by the way, um, the shortest letter, the shortest report card. It's only four verses. Um, and it's the, only, it's the only church we're going to look at this morning. There's so much um, as we go through this. And remember, each letter kind of has a little outline with it also. The first thing is identification. We, the, the church that is being written to is identified. Number two is revelation. Jesus reveals that he's the one who's writing, or who's, he's the one communicating to the church. Then he gives uh, correction, or, or commendation to the church, and then correction to the church. And then he also gives a motivation to the church also, uh, rewards. But this is, this is the only church that didn't get any correction, you guys. They didn't get any correction. This, this church, and actually the church of Philadelphia also, didn't get any correction at all, only commendation. And so the early church, you guys know, faced lots of persecution. We read the book of Acts, you see the persecution that happened to the church. Um, many lost their lives for Jesus. Do you know what still happens today? Do you guys know that? That today, as we're gathering right now, our brothers and sisters around the world, many of them, their lives are on the line right now. Many of them are being martyred right now. In fact, you can go back, you can go back, and there's a book called Fox's Book of Martyrs, and you can go back, it, it covers a lot of the, the martyrs of the, of the early church. Jesus Freaks is another book also, which I would highly recommend for you to read. You can also go to Voice of the Martyrs, their website, and you can see exactly what's going on around the world today, and I think it should encourage us to pray for them. When we pray, when we pray, we say, Our Father who art in heaven, correct? He's our daddy, even our brothers and sisters around the world. He's their father too, along with ours. And so I would say, you know, the, the persecution we face is pretty minimal here. But I, I, I don't know, things are changing. Things are changing. I don't know what the next, you know, next few years, if the Lord tarries, what, what's gonna happen in our country. I know people have lost jobs. Even in our fellowship, people have lost jobs for taking a stand for Jesus. They've had family members that have shunned them. They've, they've, they've lost family because of, because of living for Jesus and the persecution we face. We face mocking too. Um, and the Bible says that all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. So if we're not facing any persecution whatsoever, we need to take a step, take a step back and say, am I living godly for Christ Jesus? Am I living a life that's shining for him? And if not, immediately we repent. We stop and say, oh, Lord, examine my heart. Show me, Lord, where, where, I, where I'm falling short in this area. I want to be a witness for you and testify to you with my life, with my lips. And so um, let's begin. And we're, we finished in verse 7. We're in verse 8. I'm just going to read the first, these four verses. It says, And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, These things says the first and the last, who was dead, and came to life. I know your works, tribulation, and poverty, and I love this, this parenthetical, but you are rich. And I know the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison. Why? That you may be tested, 
and you will have tribulation ten days. Be faithful until death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Notice that church is plural. We need to be, take note. We need to hear what the Holy Spirit is saying to all these churches and to us personally. He who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. And so look at, let me draw your attention to verse 8. We find the identification. Who the letter is written to. It's written to the angel of the church in Smyrna. And remember, we learned this last week. I'm going to repeat this probably at least seven times, by the way. Angel is the word in Greek, angelos, in which we get messenger. And it can either be a ministering spirit, an angel. We learned that in Hebrews 1. Um, or it can mean a physical minister or a pastor. I believe, personally, and this is my own conviction, I believe it's talking about the lead pastor of the church, the one who's responsible um, for the care, for the feeding, for the love of this congregation, to be faithful to deliver God's word to these precious people. And so this church, it's interesting, this church um, was probably established from the Apostle Paul's ministry in Ephesus. Remember what we read about in Ephesus, or in the book of Acts? Remember, the word of God went out as Paul was there. The word of God went out through all of modern-day Turkey, all throughout the known world at that time. And so uh, John, the apostle who's writing this, he is the one who discipled the pastor of this church. And some of you know, um, you know your church history. His name was Polycarp. And you can check him out later. John the Apostle discipled him. And in 155 AD, Polycarp died. He was martyred for his faith. And what's interesting is it was about 50 years after the Apostle John. We know a few things about the city of Smyrna. It's approximately 35 miles north of Ephesus. It was one of the oldest cities. It was founded in 1000 BC. It was a wealthy city. What's interesting to take note of, it was founded, and for centuries it thrived, it was wealthy, and then all of a sudden it was conquered, and then it lay dormant for like 400 years. I think it was till Alexander the Great, he kind of resurrected the city, so it had a new birth, and it came back to life, if you will. It's known as modern, in modern day Turkey, it's called the city of Izmir. Um, it's a trading center. It was a trading center. There was a stadium there. There was theaters there. It was a city. Listen, this is important. It was a city that was loyal to Rome. It was loyal to Rome. Um, there was a temple to Caesar there. And you remember with me that Caesar brought lots of persecution. The Caesars brought lots of persecution to the early church. In fact, in this city, they were forced once a year... They were, or they were called to, they had to offer a pinch of, of, uh, of incense or a pinch of myrrh and say, Caesar is Lord. Once a year they had to do that. So that would present a problem for Christians, wouldn't it? Because we say Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord, and there is no other. We don't compromise on that. And so another little side note, which is interesting, and, and I'm bringing these things up because Jesus takes things from their cities and he applies those things to the church. A church that had thrived for years, and then, then or, or a city that thrived for years, and then all of a sudden it was, it was dormant, dead, but got resurrected. Not only that, but Smyrna, we get the word myrrh from Smyrna. You guys ever heard of myrrh? Myrrh is this beautiful, uh, fragrant uh, spice, if you will. 
And how they, and, and this was, this place is like one of the leading uh, distributors or exporters of myrrh. And how you get myrrh is you've got these, they're these, they're these shrubs or these trees, and they score them, they cut them, they pierce them, and sap comes out of this bush. And what happens is they let it dry. It begins to dry. They come back later, they scrape it off, and then they beat it. And it takes that, all of this process, in order for the sweet aroma to come out of it. And so myrrh came from this place, and we read about it in the Old Testament myrrh. And we read about the Song of Solomon. We read about it in the book of Psalms, this be it's beautiful smell. In fact, I was trying to get some so we could have some here to smell during the service, but I couldn't find it. But in any event, we see it throughout the Old Testament. It was used in the, the temple also for worship. But we see it also, you guys, in the New Testament, right? You guys remember where? In the life of Jesus, three times it's mentioned. Three times it's mentioned first in Matthew chapter 2, verse 11. You remember when the wise men brought the gold, frankincense, and, and myrrh, right, to Jesus? That fragrant aroma was brought. Also, it's found in Mark chapter 15, verse 23. It was used also for medicinal purposes. Remember when Jesus was on the cross suffering, and they offered him this sponge, right, that had myrrh on it. It was a painkiller. It was to numb the pain, and Jesus tasted it, and what happened? He didn't want it, right? Because he took the, all the pain, all the suffering for you and for me. And then we find it one more time. Anybody remember where? John chapter 19. <coughs> I got verse 39 down. After Jesus uh, was taken down from the cross, two guys had some stuff prepared to wrap him in. Remember those two guys? Nick, Nicodemus and... Joseph of Arimathea, right? They had this 100-pound uh, batch of aloes and myrrh prepared for embalming Jesus' body. Myrrh speaks of suffering, you guys. It speaks of suffering. And this church was suffering here. In fact, as we look at this, the way you extract the beautiful aroma is from, is from the pounding, from the crushing. It says in Isaiah 53 that Jesus was pierced for us. It also tells us, and if you're taking notes, in the book of Ephesians, chapter 5, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 2, I love this verse. It says to us as Christians, walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. So that sacrifice that he made for us when he was bruised for our iniquities, when he was crushed and pierced, it was a sweet-smelling aroma to the Father. And listen, when we suffer for the name of Jesus, when we are crushed, there comes forth oftentimes a sweet aroma from our lives that blesses our Heavenly Father. And so the Lord does the same thing in our lives through suffering and difficulty. Look at the next thing Jesus says. He gives a revelation of himself in verse 8, the second half of verse 8. Jesus identifies himself. And remember, these are reminders to the church of who Jesus is. Why do we need reminders? Why do we need reminders? Because we forget, don't we? And so Jesus, with each church, he gives a reminder, or reminders, plural. So he reminds them, and he also does it to, to prepare them, or he also does it for another reason, in order that some of the people may need to see Jesus in a new and a fresh way they've never seen before. 
And so our Lord identifies himself here. And notice what it says. He says first, he says he is the first and the last. Do we find that anywhere else? Chapter 1, didn't we find it in chapter 1? Jesus identified himself as the first, the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. This is, by the way, this is a declaration of the deity of Jesus Christ, that he is God. We find it all the way back in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah 42, 46, and 48, those chapters. You can go dig and, and look those up for yourself. It's a declaration that he is the everlasting God. He is the first and the last. He is the Son of God, and he is God the Son. In fact, Jesus, we're told also in Hebrews, he is the author and the finisher of our... It begins with Jesus. He's the one who brings us into his kingdom, right? And he's the one who's going to see us through to heaven. He's gone to prepare a place for us, and He's going to receive us unto Himself. He's gone ahead, but He's with us the whole way, you guys, as we walk with Him. He's not only the first and the last. He, you can rest in between because your life is in His hands this morning. If you're trusting in Him, He's the first and the last. He will have the, his, his Word will have the final say in your life. He will always have the last say, no matter what your situation, no matter what you're going through. This is a church that is suffering, you guys. And he's reminding, listen, I am the first and the last. My word will have the final say. And he gives them amazing promises. Amazing promises as we read this letter. And we need to hold on to those promises, you guys. We need to hold on to Jesus' exceedingly great and precious promises in our lives. Whatever you're going through, he reminds them, it's been filtered through my hands. My loving hands. That's whatever's going on in your life. Number two, he says, he says, I am who? The one who was dead and came to life. Jesus rose from the dead never to die again. And you know what he's saying to this church? He's reminding, he's reminding us this morning, through faith in me, you too will live. Amen. Jesus said, if you're taking notes in the Gospel of John, you guys know this. Remember what he said to, uh, to Martha, Mary's uh, sister, Gospel of John, chapter 11. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. You know that 10 out of 10 people die. The statistics are still the same. They will not change, you guys. And same with this church in Smyrna. They are facing, many of them are facing a sure martyrdom. And he's reminding them, because I live, so you too shall live. Every Sunday we gather together to celebrate that Jesus is alive, you guys. And that he is here with us. And that the best is yet to come when we see him face to face. Jesus is encouraging them. He's preparing them. And then in verse 9, he gives them the commendation here. There's no correction for them, just commendation. To affirm them. He says, I know your works. Jesus knows what we do. How, how much does Jesus know? He knows everything, doesn't he? That either makes you really comfortable or really convicted, doesn't it? It's really, it's really, it's really great, but it's also really scary at the same time. But I like this. He says, I know you've been serving me. I know you've been, you've been ministering. I know you've been evangelizing. I know you've been involved in, in the work of the church. I know what's going on. Listen, if you are serving the Lord, He sees it. And by the way, He's blessed by it. If you're serving Jesus this morning, He sees it. He is blessed by it. 
Why? Because our offering is sanctified through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It is a sweet aroma. As we walk in love, as, we're, as I just read in Ephesians 5, as we walk in love, following Jesus' example, serving and giving our lives, it's a sweet aroma to our Heavenly Father. Nothing slips past His watchful eye, you guys. He cares. He loves you. He says, I see everything you're doing for me. That's the first thing he mentions. And what's second? He says, I know your... What's your Bible say? I know your... You guys have Bibles this morning? I know your... After it works, I know your tribulation. What's tribulation? Crushing. It means crushing. It means pressure. You guys ever feel pressure in your life? <laughs> heavy. It speaks of heavy compression, pressing down. It feels like you're. It feels like you're pinned down, and there's no way of getting up. And I know some of us. You're going through tribulation. You're, it's heavy. It's. It feels like there's no way of escape. You're so pinned down. You're so hemmed in. It is a heavy burden. And what does Jesus say to you this morning? I know the pressure you're under. I know it's difficult. I know it's hard. And this morning, He says that to you too. He says that to you. I, the Lord knows your difficulties. The Lord knows your struggles. The pressure you're under. Maybe it's a, maybe it's a job loss. Maybe it's, a, maybe it's a spouse that's gone wayward. A child that's gone wayward. Maybe it's a chronic illness. Maybe you're having economic struggles. And Jesus says, I know every hardship. I know every obstacle. I know every difficulty you are going through. And sometimes, sometimes it feels like we're all alone, doesn't it? Anybody ever feel that? Like you're... And you're like, Lord, where are you? Do you know what's going on? You guys ever seen that? I, I, I used to have it. It was like a, it was a poster on the wall. Um, in this room in our house. And it was, it's the footsteps in the sand. You guys ever seen that? The footsteps in the sand, right? And it's got the, you know, the, 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 two, the two sets walking and then all of a sudden it turns into one, right? And, and, and the guy asks, you know, I see the two, I see I was walking with you, Lord, but then all of a sudden there was one set of footprints. Where'd you go? What happened? Where were you? That was the toughest time in my life. I was, I was pinned down. I was hemmed in. I was suffocating from so much pressure. Where were you, Lord? Did you abandon me? And what does Jesus say? I carried you. Because the Bible tells us, listen this morning, precious brother, sister, underneath are his everlasting arms. He will never leave you nor forsake you. He loves you. The Lord knows because he's a man of sorrows acquainted with griefs. He walked in our shoes. And not only does he know, he cares, and he is an ever-present help to all of us who are in trouble and struggling. Remember who met Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the midst of the fire furnace? It was Jesus who showed up, right? Who walked with them through the fire. Well, notice the third thing Jesus knows. He knows your poverty. It's interesting, this word literally, I, look, I looked it up, it means to crouch or cower like a beggar. It means deeply destitute. There's only two words in the New Testament for poor. And one of them is, is having nothing over the necessities. And the other is dirt poor. Guess which one this is? This is dirt poor. They were suffering for the Lord economically, socially, 
physically because they're being persecuted also, we'll see in just a moment. Because what would happen as a Christian in that culture, it happens today too, people find out you're a follower of Jesus, they won't sell you stuff, you get fired from your business, and all of a sudden you've lost everything, you've lost all your goods. And what does Jesus say? I know your poverty, but you are you're rich. Listen, if you got Jesus, you've got it all. Amen. Jesus says, you can lose everything, you still got me. You got my word. You got my spirit. You got my love. You got it all. And a prevalent teaching, a false teaching these days, tune in. A prevalent false teaching these days says, if you are walking in the will of God, you will be physically wealthy and healthy. You know what I'd like to tell you today? Not according to Jesus. Amen. Not according to the word of God. That's a false teaching. If, some, if you're hearing that, and if you're hearing that, flee. Get away from it. Or rebuke that person. Take them right here to Scripture. Say, listen, bro, that ain't right. Here's what the Scripture says. Because our wealth, according, does not come from accumulating worldly things. Our wealth comes from who we are in Christ and the promises of His Word. Amen. I love this. There's no rebuke to this church at all. You know what that means? This church had love. Last week they left their first love. This church had love. The next two churches that we read about, they, they're, they're involved in compromise. They're involved in things they shouldn't be involved in. This was a pure church. This was a church faithful to the word, faithful to the name of Jesus. This, you know what happens? Persecution purifies, you guys. Did you know that? When we face persecution, it pure, it, the, we get weeded out whether we're the real deal or not, when we are persecuted, when we suffer for His name, when we go through difficulty and hardship, and we keep on keeping on. This church was laying it down for Jesus and for the gospel. I mean, and we suffer persecution. What's the worst that can happen to us, you guys? I, I shared this with Alana, you know, after we, our lives were threatened. I said, honey, what's the worst that can happen to us? We go home, we go say hi to Jesus. We go home to be with the Lord. That's the worst that can happen, Correct? It's like we go home to the place that Jesus is preparing for us. We know where we're headed because we know who we're trusting in. We have life. Life eternal. How long is eternal life? Forever. Ever thought of, like, just thought, I mean, make your mind smoke, but the Bible says our life here is like a vapor, like a puff of breath in comparison to eternity. And so, notice the fourth thing he mentions. He knows the blasphemy. He says, I know the blasphemy of those who say they're Jews. He says, I know you're battling persecution. I know you're having to endure trash talk. I know you're having to endure slander. I know you're having to endure these people like messing with you. Those people who are claiming to be God's people, and they, Jesus says, they are not. Those that are gathering, they're gathering, they belong to the devil, he says. That's pretty heavy. Well, the Bible tells us either you're a son of God or you're a son of the devil, by the way. It's like this, either you're a saint or a yank. There's no in-between. And so they, these people, they look back and they, and, the, and they see this physical lineage, but in reality, Jesus says, they are of the devil. And so if you're in that church, what would you do? Think about all the things, you're, think about all the things that are going on. Our flesh would say, get out. Yeah, go church hop. Let's go over to this other church. 
But guess what? There wasn't a, there wasn't a church on every block like like out on Cypress North Houston. What would you do? Would you endure for Jesus? Would you throw in the towel? Would you quit? Would you say, Lord, I'm going to honor you. I'm going to hang in there. Look what the Lord says. Look what it says in the next verse, verse 10. He says, your suffering is about to get worse. Does that mess with your theology a little bit this morning? Does that challenge your idea of God? It's awful. Now it's going to get worse. You think Jesus would say, I see your suffering and relief is on the way. He doesn't say that. You know what we might do? We might protest. It's not fair. Yeah, that, that happened to a guy in the Bible, by the way, Asaph. Psalm 7, get into Psalm 73. <laughs> he said, I, I was, he was looking at the prosperity of the wicked. The wicked, nothing's happened to them. It's, it's jacked up. I'm serving the Lord, and I'm getting the short end of the stick here. It's, I'm getting the raw deal serving Jesus. It's brutal. I, man, I've lost my goods. I'm getting pressured. I'm having people come down on me. I'm suffering big time. And, and Asaph says, my foot almost slipped. I almost bailed out. I almost took off. I almost threw in the towel. I almost quit. But then I went to church. Because isn't that what happens you come to church? When you come to a place that's teaching the Bible, you get things get squared away. And, and the only said, then I remembered their end. <laughs> In other words, the pastor, whoever was teaching, was talking about eternity. Was talking about there is a very real heaven and a very real hell. And Asaph was reminded of their end, but he was also reminded of his end, where he's headed. It's so great to be reminded of where we're headed, you guys. Because this place is not our home. That's why we're to store up our treasures in heaven. Why? Because where your treasure is, there your, there your heart will be also. Because listen, our life on earth will soon be past. It will soon be past. Only what you do for Christ will last. Amen. That's it. And so we read this and it's challenging. He says, do not fear. Literally stop fearing those things which you are about to suffer. And Jesus told us right up front, if you've chosen the narrow way, it will be difficult. He said to be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. In this world, you will have tribulation. And we do suffer, don't we? Suffering's a reality for us, isn't it? It's, it's a reality. Is it, is it not? Number one, we live in a fallen world with fallen people. We suffer. We go to dentists, sometimes we suffer too, don't we? <laughs> go to the gym. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to put up with this suffering, man. Get these... 32-inch pythons. <laughs> you know, but suffering, uh, I know my, my own personal life, suffering brought me to surrender to Jesus Christ. That's what the tribulation, part of the tribulation, one of the reasons there's going to be seven years of tribulation, compression, heaviness, all of that. Why? Because that's, that's, is, God knows that's what it will take for some people to surrender. And if you're here this morning, you haven't surrendered to Jesus, don't let it get that far. Just say, I give. I realize, Lord, I need you. I have sinned against you. I open my heart to you. 
But there are reasons we suffer biblically. We see sometimes it's because of our own sin. Did you know that? Sometimes we suffer because of our own sin. How about Jonah? Remember Jonah, the prejudiced prophet? <laughs> right? Ran from God's call. Sometimes we, sometimes we suffer because God in His perfect wisdom needs to teach us. Did you know that? We learned that in Romans. In Romans chapter 5. We were told in Romans chapter 5, and not only that, but we also glory in tribulations. How can we glory in tribulations? Knowing that tribulation produces perseverance. And perseverance, character. And character, hope. Right? It, it tells us in the book of Hebrews that Jesus learned obedience through the things he suffered. Chew on that one for a while. If suffering was good enough for the Son, guess who else it's good enough for? Every one of us to learn obedience. We, another reason we suffer is sometimes as a loving preventative so he can use us to keep us humble and useful in his hands. 2 Corinthians 12. God allowed Paul to have what? A thorn in the, a thorn in the flesh. And in order to what? Paul said, to keep God's anointing upon my life. And he embraced that thorn in the flesh. He embraced the suffering. Listen, it's, suffering also keeps us pure. Look at the church of Smyrna. They're a pure church. To test our faith. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6. If you're taking notes, I'm going to read this. Why else do we suffer? 1 Peter chapter 1. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. Why? That the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You know, Jesus used this word suffer in relation to himself before and after the cross. Um, he suffered before entering into glory. And you know, God allows suffering in our lives, and you know what begins to happen as we embrace it? We become more and more like Jesus. Did you know that this morning? Come on, pastor. Is there a verse for that? There sure is. <laughs> Romans 8, 8.28 and 29. <clears throat> and we know that all things work together for good. You guys know that this morning? All things. Persecution, loss, suffering, tribulation. That all, would that be all things? Would, that, would, you, would you consider that all things this morning, you guys? Yep. Tribulation, pressure, heaviness, loss. We know that all things work together for good to those who love God. You love God this morning. Everything is working together for good in your life. Yes. And those to those who are the called according to his purpose... For whom he foreknew, he also, check this out, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. Do you know that's God's overall plan for your life, to make you more like Jesus? What is, could there be anything better than becoming more like Jesus? He's the greatest, isn't he? But we don't typically like the suffering part, right? That's, what's our natural response to suffering? To avoid it, right? To bail out, to get away from it. And so Jesus says to them, you need to be prepared because more suffering is coming right around the corner. 
God is going to allow it for a little time period. Indeed, for sure, here's what's going to happen. Look at verse 10. He tells them, here's what's going to happen. The one behind the persecution is Satan. He's going to toss some of you, not all of you, some of you into jail. Why? That you may be tested. When we go through testing, is God trying to find out some information? I wonder what, if I test him, I need to find Does God need to know anything? He's all-knowing, correct? Is God looking for insight on what's going on? Is he lacking information? No, so that we would know it's in our hearts. Right? This word testing speaks of when they refine gold. You guys know this. When they refine gold to make it, like, beautiful, you know what they do? What do they put it in? Cooking oil? What do they put it in? They burn it. They put it in a furnace, right? If you've ever seen someone do that, they heat up the gold, the raw gold, and what rises to the surface? The dross, the junk. And then, you know what he does? He takes this, it looks like a ladle kind of thing, and he takes it and he scrapes off the junk and gets rid of it, and he, the heat gets turned up and more junk. Ever, does that ever happen in your life? The heat, of, the, the pressure of the heat happens in your life, and what comes to the surface? Christians are like tea bags. You don't find out what flavor they are until you put them in hot water. <laughs> Maybe that'll help us out a little bit. What, hap- what comes out of your mouth? When you're going through stressful situations, when you're pressured, when heavy stuff comes down, what's coming out is what we've been soaking in, you guys. What's coming out is the good, hopefully the good treasure that a good man puts in his heart. And it may not be, praise the Lord, and just, you know... <laughs> But at least it's not what it once was. And so they're going to be tested. And you know what's so beautiful about that whole process of removing the dross? Do you know how long that guy keeps the gold heated? Until he can see his reflection in the gold. How long does the Lord allow us to stay in the heat? Until he can see his reflection in us. Wow, how cool is that? It's cool, man. <laughs> the nail-scarred hands of our Master are on your life, guys. He's leading you. He's teaching you. Trust Him. We need to walk with Him. You left tribulation. How long? Ten days. Notice it's a limited time. It's a limited amount of time. It's going to be ten days. Heavy pressure. Some believe this speaks of ten waves of, uh, of Roman Caesar's uh, persecution all the way to Constantine. Um, it's a little bit of a stretch, but if you like that, then go for it. I think it's just simple. It's 10 days. It's a limited time period. And what does Jesus say? What's the, what's the exhortation? Be faithful. What does it say? Unto, unto death. He says, keep trusting. Don't quit. Remain faithful. When the pressure is on, even when facing death. And there's sometimes we struggle. We want to quit. I'm done with this trial. I'm just done. I'm done, man. I can't take it anymore. I'm just going to give in. And what does the Lord say? Jesus says, stay committed. Be steadfast. I'm expecting faithfulness. That's what he's expecting in our lives. He's expecting faithfulness. It tells us, if you're taking notes in Colossians chapter 1, listen to this verse. Colossians 1, verse 21 to 23. It says, and you who were once alienated... And enemies in your mind by wicked works, 
Yet now he is reconciled. You've been reconciled to God in the body of his flesh through death because of what Jesus did for you to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. Can you, I can't wait for that day. Jesus is going to present me holy and blameless. Hallelujah. Right? Are you excited for that? But then he says, if indeed you continue in the faith. If you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard. The just shall live by faith. You keep trusting the Lord. You don't bail out. And just like the myrrh, just like the myrrh, remember how the myrrh lets off that fragrant aroma? It happens in what? Crushing, pressure, the scoring, the cutting, the bruising. The Lord wants to do the same. Listen, this morning, the Lord wants to do the same thing in your life. There, I think there's nothing more beautiful than a suffering saint that's giving glory to Jesus. It's like, whoa. It is so powerful. It is so unique. And I look at this, and God wants something to come forth from our lives when we're afflicted, when we're challenged, when we're under pressure. He wants this fragrant aroma to be coming from us when you're pierced, when you're afflicted. That beautiful aroma of faith, of praise, of worship, it is powerful, you guys. In fact, remember what happened when Jesus was suffering on the cross. What was coming out of him? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they're doing. He builds a relationship between John and Mary. He's building relationships as he's suffering. And guess what it did? There's a beautiful aroma. His sacrifice, his response to the suffering, to the pressure, it's touching other people. How do you know that, Pastor? Well, there was two thieves, correct? <laughs> and both were, both were railing on him, persecuting him. And they're, and they're both watching this, and one of them, he's processing this, watching Jesus going through suffering, and he has a change of heart, doesn't he? He gets saved. Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Verily, verily, truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. You'll be with me in heaven. Listen, when we are suffering and we walk through it, honoring the Lord, continuing to trust Him, praising and worshiping the Lord, it is a powerful testimony to those people around us. It touches hearts. People get saved. And how about the, the centurion that was watching the whole thing? Battle-hardened dude, right? Watch the whole thing. Yeah, pierce him. And he's watching this whole thing. And what did he say at the end? Truly this man was the Son of God. <coughs> so powerful. And then Jesus reminds them, you're heaven-bound. Look at the end of that verse. He says, I will give you the crown of life. He promises these precious believers the crown of life. James chapter 1, verse 12. I love what it says here. Blessed is the man who endures temptation or who endures testing. For when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Wow. Awesome. And then, verse 11, as we finish, he who has an ear... Are you, turned, are you tuned in this morning? He who has an ear, let him hear. Don't miss what the Holy Spirit is communicating. 
to this church or all the churches. And then the promise for the overcomer. He who overcomes, it tells us in 1 John 1, 5, or 1 John 5, 5 rather. Who is he who overcomes the world but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Want to be victorious? Keep trusting in Jesus. Trust in Him. Continue steadfast in the faith. What's the promise? Look at the promise. He who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. What is the second death? I don't want that to happen to me. What does that mean, Pastor? We're going to read about it in Revelation chapter 20. It speaks of the lake of fire. All of us will die once physically. Are you with me this morning? It is appointed unto man once to die, and after that, the judgment, the Bible says. All of us will die physically unless the Lord comes for us and we get raptured, which is way better. Listen, for the believer who dies, we immediately go to the presence of the Lord. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. 2 Corinthians 5.8 to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. When you take your last breath here as a Christian, it will be your first breath in heaven with Jesus. Amen. For the unbeliever, it's a different story. The one that rejects Jesus Christ. You will die twice. You will die physically, and then afterwards, a second time, the second death is everlasting fire. You, you too will experience a resurrection if you've rejected Jesus Christ. You will experience a resurrection. You will be taken from that holding place, that, that holding place that does involve heat and pain and suffering. You will be taken from that holding place and you will be brought before the great white throne judgment. You will be brought before God. And He will open the books. And if your name is not found in the book of life, He'll look at your works. If you're not trusting in Jesus Christ, your name's not in the book, and then He will look at your works, and your works won't measure up because we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. <clears throat> and because of your choice, the choice you made, and the way you lived your life, you will end up for all eternity in the lake of fire. And God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. If that's you this morning, listen, it's not an accident you're here listening. God loves you so much, He sent His Son to die for you. To, to die on a cross for you, for your sins, but not only to die, to rise again from the dead to give you the promise of everlasting life. Listen, if you deny the Lord to the point of death, you will miss heaven. And it's so simple, even a child can understand. You come to Jesus just the way you are. You repent. You have a change of heart, change of mind, change of direction of your life, and you place your trust in Jesus Christ. And for you, then, after that, the best is yet to come. Just like for us. There's no more fear of death. There's no, we've been set free from that bondage of the fear of death. Death has lost its sting because Jesus took the sting for us. In Jesus' name. Lord, thank you so much this morning. What an awesome, awesome, Lord, passage. Such awesome reminders, Lord Jesus. Thank you. God, help us in our suffering that we would stay faithful, we would stop fearing that we would rest in you this day and recognize that it is an amazing testimony as we hang in there, giving you the glory, trusting in your promises, looking to you with our eyes upon you, the author and finisher of our faith. 
thank you that truly for us, Lord Jesus, the best is yet to come because you gave your life for us. We want to thank you this morning, Lord Jesus, tell you that we love you. Thank you for first loving us. And we look forward to that day of being with you, worshiping and adoring you. The place where there is no more pain, no more suffering. Reunited with those loved ones that have died in you, that have gone on to be with you. Thank you so much for all the amazing promises you've given us. We don't deserve any of it. It's all by your grace. Thank you. We bless you. We honor you this morning. And as we're still in an attitude of prayer this morning, as we finish up our Bible study, maybe you've been listening and you've never come to that place of a real and a genuine relationship with Jesus Christ. And this morning, again, it's not an accident you're here. It's not a coincidence you're listening. The Lord is calling you right now out of darkness to himself to find forgiveness. That you would have the hope of heaven. And if that's you this morning, I'm not asking you to join our church or sign some membership card or perform some kind of a ritual. None of those things will save you. Only Jesus can and will save you rescue you right here, right now. You need to open your heart to Him. If that's you, I want to pray with you. Lead you in a prayer. I'm going to ask you to do something very simple. Right where you're sitting, you raise your hand, and I'm going to lead you in a prayer right now. Do not put it off. You and I are not promised our next breath. We're not promised tomorrow. You need to get right with God today. Is that you this morning? You raise up that hand if that's you. Anyone at all this morning? thank you so much for your precious people here this morning Lord I pray you continue to bless them, strengthen them encourage them Lord for those that are going through serious tribulations right now Lord that that you would give them the strength that they need thank you that your grace is sufficient that your strength is made perfect in our weakness thank you so much Lord for the privilege of being your kiddos, a family being saved, being forgiven. Thank you for the Holy Spirit. Would you empower us this day to live for you? Fill us afresh that truly out of our out of our innermost being would flow rivers of living water. That would bring you glory. We thank you, Lord, for all that you're going to do. And it's in your precious and your holy name. Lord Jesus, that we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.